Hey y'all, welcome back to the Mountain Man Podcast. It's a rainy day here in the Shenandoah Valley, but it's a great day to hop in the studio. Uh, before I start blabbering about this and that and get distracted like I always do, the first thing I have to do is tell y'all that I have broken the curse, I've broken the streak, and this most recent hunting season, I finally got a deer after like an eight-year dry streak of just absolutely no success hunting. So, kind of want to talk a little bit about that, how that went down. I feel like I've talked so much over the past couple years about my lack of success hunting recently and uh, breaking that curse. So, to catch you up on the curse, right, uh, this is going to predominantly involve white-tailed deer hunting. Now, in my opinion, it encompasses all of my hunting and fishing as a whole, but we'll keep this to hunting. So last time before this, this last fall, I had successfully harvested a deer while hunting was in the fall of 2013. I was in college, uh, hunting at the cabin in uh, Allegheny mountains, uh, in Western Virginia, still Virginia, but Western Virginia. Just want to put that out there. In the Allegheny Mountains, uh, where I've killed a lot of deer, probably the most deer, at the same cabin that we go to in the summer, where you guys see on Twitter at Booty Banjo, just all types of stuff going crazy. Same cabin. Um, you know, it was in my successful spot. I have, I don't know how many of you guys have, have hunted or hunted in groups. When you go to a cabin or a hunt club, a lot of times people have spots, named places, stands, where they sit and hunt and it might be someone found that spot originally and it's named after them or it's named after a landmark nearby or whatever it might be so i kind of had a spot more or less um was not the best hunter there and i was not obviously very old i'd been going there since i was probably well i'd been going there since before i was born but hunting i'd been going there since i was probably eight years old so, you know, I'm 15 years in this thing, maybe a little bit less, and I've, I've, got a, I've got a spot. I don't really tell anybody else where it is, uh, but it, it's pretty successful for me, and I like the spot, so it's usually where I return to. Now, the trick on this spot is I don't hunt in the morning. So a lot of times when you hear hunting, stereotypically, you think of people waking up at the ass crack of dawn, really before that, getting up fixing some coffee, getting all bundled up, riding their four-wheeler, walking out into their woods, and getting out there and sitting and waiting for the sun to rise, and watching the woods wake up in the morning. And it's a nice experience, right? Not for me. It's not for me, okay? It's not the waking up part. I like waking up early. I always wake up early. I naturally wake up at around 5 or 6 every day. I don't have a job to rush to. I work from home. Uh, if I go to bed early, if I go to bed at late, 2 a.m., I'm waking up at 5 or 6 every morning regardless. So that's not the problem. The waking up early, it's not the problem. It's the cold, man. It's just something about the process. You know, when, you, when you're walking outside at 5 a.m., that's honestly one of the coldest times of the 24-hour day. It could be argued that around six or seven when the dawn 
breeze starts to blow and you really feel a cold pressure of air system roll in, uh, that that could be the coldest. But for the most part, you know, it's right around dawn would be the coldest part of the day. So it's freezing. It's, it's, it's freezing and you bundle up, you get as, as warm as possible. And where I'm hunting at that time in the Allegheny mountains, I'm literally walking up into the mountains. I mean, no joke. My elevation change is going up, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet. And you can't drive up in there. Cause if you drive up in there, you spook everything, everything runs away. What's the point? Also smell deer are pretty good at it. They got really good nose, right? Uh, you can't just like walk straight there because that might be how they're walking back in from feeding in the fields overnight, you know? So it's tough. It takes a lot longer to get back up in your stand. You got to walk in behind it carefully, quietly. You've got your flashlight out. It's pitch black. That's a whole other worm of just not knowing what the fuck's out there and what's going on around you. And people are like, Oh, why are you so scared? You've got a gun. You're out there hunting another animal. Yeah, I might be sitting out there to hunt a deer. That doesn't mean I don't know if a mountain lion is sitting in the fucking tree above me. You don't know, man. I'm not trying to freak y'all out, but you don't know. It's pitch black. You're in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the mountains. Population density at that current moment where you're sitting is probably one per square mile or less. It's you. There's no one anywhere near you. And, uh, you can't see anything. It's, it's terrifying. You hear noise. You're like, what the fuck was that? Right. However, you don't know, like, was that me? Then you stop and you don't hear it. But then you're walking and you're like, I swear I hear something, but it's probably just you walking, but you're like, stop, check again. It's terrible. I hate hunting in the morning. It's just, so anyway, I didn't even make my point. You're all bundled up and I hike up in these mountains on like a 45 minute walk Dude, going straight uphill, I'm sweating my fucking balls off, man. Underneath, like, five to six layers of stuff, soaking my long johns and my shirts with sweat, not to mention all that sweat on my neck, everywhere on my head is going to freeze when I sit still and my heart's not going crazy, and I'm going to be fucking cold as shit. Who wants to do that? Hunt in the morning, insanely overrated insanely overrated i apologize if you like hunting in the morning good for you you probably got a fucking heater or one of those nice ass fancy ass blinds whatever it is not me dude not me i like watching the world wake up in the morning in the woods and not a fan of the process now i say all that to tell you this so i would hunt in the evenings this was an evening spot now that's my cup of tea now i'm all down to hunt during the day do drives, man drives, uh, dog drives, depending on what part of the country and, um, you know, your local laws. I'm always down for that, but the evening hunts, oh, I love an evening hunt because it's just a totally different experience. The morning's stressful. You're in a rush. You got to get out there. You're cold. You can't see. You got to get settled. You got to make your little spot in the dark. You can't even see your shooting lanes because it's pitch black. You don't even know what you're going to see. You're just sitting and hoping that when the sun comes up, you got a shot, right? Not the evening. Not the evening. You can pack some snacks, some drinks, whatever you want. Put it in a backpack. Take it out in the woods with you. You don't have to wear as much clothes because it's a lot warmer at 2 in the afternoon. 
It's going to cool off towards sunset, but not as cold as it is in the morning. Get out there. Get in your spot. You can see all around you. See your lanes. Know what you're looking for, where you're going to be looking at, where the deer are going to be coming from. In this particular situation, they were coming up from, uh, really they were coming out from behind me and going out in the fields to eat. But some of them were coming out from the riverbeds to just eat in the field. They were field deer. Two different herds. So I was in a good spot. It was a nice day. The sun kind of set at an angle in front of the ridge that I was sitting on. I was basically, I, I, would, I would walk back the road to the mouth of the big holler. We call it Sulphur Spring Holler. It's huge. A holler, by the way, is H-O-L-L-O-W. It is basically like a miniature valley. So to expand on that, a valley is the lowland in between two mountain ranges. For example, the Shenandoah Valley, where I live. This is between the Blue Ridge Mountains and Allegheny Mountains. Anyway, uh, Holler is like a really small valley, basically in between two ridges, which would just be stretches of the mountain range coming out, just giant hills. And, uh, you know, think of it just like a giant V or a U. And usually at the bottom of this holler is a creek. Um, that way all the rainwater can run down the mountains and run out into a river wherever it's headed. Eventually it's a river. So I go down, I cross the creek, and there's this front ridge that the, the whole cabin's wrapped around by this beautiful river. You guys see it in the summer when we go do stuff. And this far out ridge at the edge of our property line is all covered by shale on the outside. Shale is a very breakable, it's a layered type of rock. Um, I really don't know how to describe it. It's not like a big, thick rock where you just hit somebody over the head and like, ugh, doink. Like, if you hit somebody with a piece of shale, it'd probably, like, break over their head, like, the fake bottles in Hollywood, if that makes sense. It's a very fragile, thin rock. Very pretty to look at when you cut into it from the side. But anyway, it's not good. It doesn't have good footing. You know, if you step on it, it could crumble under you and you could fall out. So it's tough to walk on that ridge. The deer don't even do it that much. So it's a good spot to kind of hang out at the edge, see what's going on. Um, I get up there, I'm sitting, lay back, just chilling. I love how I'm telling you all this about a deer that I killed a long time ago, not even the most recent one. But anyway, this is the last kill of Before Street. Okay, so we got we got to talk about Precurse, the Precursor. Don't know if that's the right context. Anyway, lay down, you know, I'm chilling, napping. <clears throat> I'm expecting him to kind of either come up from behind me and down around and end up in front of me or just come straight out from in front of me. But I doze off. Now I told you guys it's okay to nap on the afternoon hunts, but you need to be prepared. If you oversleep, you could wake up and miss deer, miss shooting light. You could wake up in the pitch black in the middle of the woods. Gotta have an alarm. Now you don't necessarily want your volume on. Of course not. So just put your uh, phone to vibrate. Your alarms can just do a vibrate. Leave it like in your chest pocket so you feel it. Anyway, so I had my alarm on, and naturally I woke up because I hear some stuff, and there's deer, and they're walking straight at me, but from my left. So I'm not trying to move or nothing, <clears throat> but like I turn my, my head over to the left, and I see them, they're walking right fucking at me, dude. I had sat down in the middle of a deer path. A deer path is basically a walkway that they've made for themselves, almost like a stairway that goes back and forth up um, 
up the side of a ridge or the front of a ridge. That way they don't just have to like walk straight uphill at a crazy ass angle. It's almost like if you drive your car up a mountain, a mountain road, or you ever been like a really windy road that just feels like you're going back and forth, left and right. Well, you're actually probably increasing or decreasing your elevation at the same time. But if your car just went, like, let's say your car needs to descend, you know, a thousand feet, right? If you just went straight down a hill, down that thousand feet, it would be tough on your brakes. If you're going up, it would be tough on your car. Um, it would just be difficult, right? So that's why they kind of cut back and forth to make it easier, more manageable, safer to control speeds. And it's funny because that's how deer go back up and forth a mountain. It's just easier on them. So this is one of their like vertical, you know, like when people like peel like a potato or an apple and it's just like a constant like corkscrew. It's not like going around the mountain. Uh, anyway, I'm in their road, more or less. And they're like mentally, they're like, this is my road. I'm just walking. And they're kind of like looking for predators, you know, around. They're not really like looking right in front of them in the road. So they don't notice me. Um, they don't smell me. They don't hear me because I'm not really moving. They don't see me because I'm not really shuffling around. But I notice that behind this group of does walking comes a nice buck and I'm like, oh shoot, let's go. So boom, made a crazy shot right in the chest. Really difficult shot, got him. He ran like 10 yards, fell over. It was awesome, it was a good deer. It was a great harvest. Took a ton of meat, I mean all kinds of meat. Took the whole deer pretty much back to college and got to uh, clean it and process it with my roommates and friends. That was really cool, you know, cause I had friends in college that uh, were, <laughs> more of a mountain man than me, hundred percent. I learned a lot from them, but I had, you know, friends in college that came from the suburbs or a city or just where their culture was different than hunting deer. So to show them like, Hey, this is how we cut up a deer ham and debone it and process it. And yada, yada, yada. That was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. You know, they missed the, the, the rough parts, like the gutting, um, my least favorite part. They missed that, but it was cool. It was a cool experience. So that was the last time that I uh, had harvested a deer before the curse. Okay. Fall 2013. Now, fast forward to 2021, and I have not killed a deer since that day. It's eight years, at least. I think it's nine, but we're going to just go with eight, okay, because I don't feel like counting. Eight years. And, I, and it probably sounds simple, right? But sometimes... It's not just like one minus the other and that's the year. It's like there's an extra year that you have to count sometimes. Hard to explain. Not worth it right now. But you'd be surprised at how many times people incorrectly say how many years in between this date and this date. Um, very interesting. So <clears throat> anyway, so I'm on this. I've got this streak of no deer. And like part of it might be me. I might not be hunting as hard. I might not be in the right places. I might be you know, need to switch up the location or whatever. Um, but man, I just, I couldn't get anything. I couldn't get a good shot. I was seeing deer. I was, um, uh, seeing good deer. I was being patient. They were, you know, I was doing everything right. Um, finally I went to go after a really nice deer here in my own land. 20 in 2019, 2020, 2019. And, uh, <sighs> I don't know. It was like I, I shot the muzzleloader and it just didn't fire. Um, a muzzleloader 
to uh, explain is not like a typical gun or rifle that you would see. Think of it more like the muskets that would have been used like 200 years ago um, in combat, uh, even 300 years. Around revolutionary times, okay? Uh, around the turn of the 19th century, which would be 1800. Again, dates, weird. So, yeah, I, it, anyway, the way that gun works is uh, you, you load the, the gunpowder, it's called black powder, it's called a black powder rifle, down into the barrel from the top, rather than just like taking a bullet and putting it in, and oh, it's ready. You like are stuffing it the old way, so you... Shove black powder down in there, you pour it down in there, then you put your bullet on top, and then you take this thing called a ramrod, and if you're watching the Mountain Man podcast on YouTube right now, on the Shane Shine YouTube channel, you'll enjoy this illustration. So you pretty much take the ramrod, and you just, you ram uh, the bullet and the gunpowder all the way down, pack into the bottom, up tight, so there's no air, there's no moisture, there's nothing, so it's ready, and then you take a cap on the other side, and you put it in. And then you pull the trigger and the hammer fires, it hits that cap. And it's kind of like a cap gun. It'll go pop. Just a small little like explosion, like those little things that people throw at you. Pop. And that ignition will, is supposed to ignite the gunpowder, which then creates an explosion, which launches a projectile, a.k.a. the bullet, out of the barrel of the gun. So I did everything right. Pull the trigger. Nothing happens. I'm just staring at this deer. I'm like, what the fuck, man? I'm like, th this is not right. <laughs> So I'm like scared because the gun could go off at any time. Because I thought maybe I ignited the powder, maybe it's delayed. But I like I ram it back down in there again, load another cap, I pull it, nothing. I'm like, yo, this is absolute bullshit. And after a couple seconds, I lower my gun just a little bit, like this, kaboom, goes off, cracks me right in the fucking collarbone. I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. And that's what I get. It wasn't a nice muzzle loader. Bought it at a yard sale for fifty bucks. I never. <laughs> If um if you're like big on gun safety, please don't listen to the next thirty seconds because it's gonna make you cringe. I had never tested out this muzzle loader before I took it hunting. Um, I hadn't fired it once. It was my first muzzle loader. Um, but it was muzzle loader season, and there was a nice buck out back, and I wanted to be legal and harvest it the proper way. So I took this muzzle loader that I knew nothing about, and it is what it is. We saw what happened. I didn't get the deer. But at this point, at this point, I'm like, all right, I'm cursed. There's no way that I would have such success hunting, you know, at least a deer a year, sometimes more. And now I don't see one for almost a decade. Something's going on. So I started doing some serious thinking, thinking, you know, what's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm from Appalachia. I'm not superstitious at all, but I know that there's a lot of Appalachian, you know, superstitions. And I'm like, there's something I'm doing. Who put a curse on me to where I can't get those deer? Well, let me tell y'all something. Right around the same time that I quit having successful hunting seasons, I met my lovely, beautiful wife. Interesting, right? And in fact, I, I realized in the summer of 2021, as I sat there contemplating everything about me, even if I was a hunter or a sportsman anymore, I thought, hmm. How very interesting that those that those timelines line up. So I then developed a theory, unproven, you know, of course, I it just it made sense. So I started the theory that my wife was actually my hunting curse. Now, don't immediately jump to conclusions. I never once thought, okay, to be better at hunting, I need to get rid of my wife. 
because that's not how the world works, okay? You face a dilemma, you get to problem solving. You figure it out. You don't just immediately just give up. Not how it works. In real marriage, too. I know I'm being facetious and funny, and I'm talking about a hunting curse. But let me just, let me just take me seriously for a second. Figure shit out. Anyway. So I confront her. I'm like, look. <laughs> Sorry, I was about to just be ridiculous. I'm like, look. You know, you married me because I'm a man of the woods. Just kidding. I'm not. And that's not why she married me. I'm still trying to figure out why she married me. I'm like, you know, I go hunting every every fall and I come back with nothing. Like, one, you're probably sitting there embarrassed of me. Like, why doesn't my husband bring back the nice deer? Well, I want to let you know something, hussy. It's your fault. You put a curse on me. So that's what I told her. She told me I was full of shit. And to kiss her ass. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Whatever you say. Um, and, and that was the end of that for then. But, you know, it, it didn't it didn't leave my mind. It didn't leave my mind that, that somehow she had cursed me. I'm not just talking deer, y'all. I wasn't catching fish. I wasn't killing turkeys. Nothing. The fish I was catching were just these, like, tiny little... It, it was crazy. I was cursed. But... Does not end there. Because what I just started talking about 20 minutes ago that I'm finally ready to tell you about is the deer that I just killed this most recent hunting season. So I was down in Southern Virginia with a really good friend of mine, Charlie. I've talked about him often on this podcast. One of my best friends, one of my, probably my number one just outdoorsman friend that if you're going to catch me doing something outside with a friend, it's probably with Charlie. Um, one of those reasons is just where he lives, uh, lives in a wonderful location with lake, woods, rivers, all the fun stuff. And he has a cabin on a river as well. So we're down there hunting, which I do, uh, I've been doing for about five years now, a little bit more than that. And in this area of Virginia, this is, uh, Southern Virginia, kind of for my NASCAR listeners that I've got, you know, Ward Burton, Jeff Burton territory. Really, where Charlie is, he's basically in between where the Sadler brothers are from and where the Burton brothers are from. So just that Southern Virginia, that kind of old draw that they got in, in Eastern North Carolina, Southeastern Virginia. And in this region, um, I, I understand we've got listeners all over the world. And I know we haven't been uh, as frequent lately. And I don't want to talk about that too much, but that it, we are going to have a lot more episodes of this lately. Um Anyway, we'll talk about that later. So I know we got listeners all over the place that enjoy the podcast because people have like literally been sending me messages of that. And I really appreciate that, y'all. It made me feel good. Made me want to record. But anyway, so I know not everyone's got the same hunting laws or even the same game that we're hunting. But in the state of Virginia, in specific counties in Virginia's Tidewater region, which is basically Virginia's lowlands for more or less. Quick geography in Virginia. It's got three regions. We've got the Blue Ridge region, which is all everything west of the Appalachian Mountains of the Blue Ridge Mountains, all the way to the western line of the state. It's a mountain region. We've got the Piedmont region, which is the central, straight down to the state. It's pretty much the highlands. Not not highlands. It's more like the hills. Um, just nice stuff. And Tidewater, which is east of a fall line. The fall line is basically some creek or river that comes from D.C. all the way down, and everything east of there is, like, like pristine, uh, fertile, like, farming lands and just all that stuff. 
But anyway, down there and in North Carolina, uh, deer hunting with dogs is not only legal, but extremely popular and has a lot of rich uh, cultural history. And that's new to me being from up in the mountains because that's not a thing up here. Uh, there are bear dogs um, during bear season where people will run bears, but for deer season, we never had um, dogs out. It, I don't think it's not legal for one, but it just wasn't a thing. We would do man drives where you would walk, you know, as men, but or not as men, just as humans, you would walk through the woods and try to steer up a deer that way. But, you know, I never really hunted with dogs before. So hunting down there was a new experience for me. And it was interesting to learn a lot about that. I like learning about how different cultures hunt. And so that was really cool. And so um, down there in this area, the uh, two different types of dogs, some people have beagles, some people have more of the walkers, but these dogs will just run through the woods to stir the deer up more or less. And when you hear the dogs barking, whether they're yours or not, so that's the thing about down there is you can't, not you can't, you don't still hunt like um, is more stereotypically popular where you just go and sit in a tree stand or at the bottom of a tree and you wait for hours. It's not really, everyone does that, but it's not like the whole day, especially in the morning because you could just be hanging out and you hear dogs wherever they are, wherever you hear the bark and that's not where the deer is. The deer is way out in front of them. So if you hear people running their dogs during hunting season, it means that deer could be moving on your property too. Anyway, it's really interesting, really cool stuff. Um, really, just really uh, cool culture to learn about. I think a big uh, driver for it is just it's so flat down there. So it's a lot of shotgun hunting. Um, anyway, a lot of fun. So I was down there hunting again this year. And that morning, we all kind of lined up on the river. Uh, typically, when deer are in panic, if they want to lose whatever they think is hunting them, they go to water to kind of lose that scent. So hunting um, near water is pretty common. Uh, you know, you're not going to see deer just casually all the time walking, you know, through a river or around it. But they may head to the river often to lose something scent or whatever it might be. But anyway, I'm on the river and the guy one stand up for me. Got two deer that morning. <laughs> and he didn't just get two deer that morning. It was two of the nicest bucks that I've ever seen. Um, they were beautiful. And I was like, man, you know, the curse continues. If I would have just been up in that spot instead, one of those could have been mine. Blah, 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 blah. So we're all talking, cleaning those deer, taking pictures. It's lovely. And we're like, hey, you know what? Like, let's do a man drive. One of my other buddies was there, and he has never killed a deer before. And we're like, let's put this dude on one because that's the joys of hunting y'all it ain't about personal selfish gains if you want to hang out with a good group of folks they really just want to share that experience with everybody it's one of the reasons i love talking to y'all on this podcast is um just educating people teaching people defeating stereotypes that's one of my goals with everything i do especially with shenandoah shine and um so yeah hunters take a lot of joy and pride and um giving other people that experience and that feeling so we were trying to find him a deer so we we're going to do a man drive where we sit him in a good spot. We're going to kind of walk some some fields, pieces of the woods, and see if we can stir up any deer that are sleeping during the day and get them on the move. And um, we put him in a fantastic spot. I was kind of in a hybrid spot. So sometimes on these man drives, you may start standing 
and then you finish walking out or you may walk in and then you stand and you wait till someone comes and gets you. It can all depend. But for me, I kind of had a hybrid role where I was kind of hanging out for just a little bit. And then when the guy went to wrap around and come back to me, I was to drop down and just kind of cut him off down there. But I was a little nervous that they're going to cut back up behind me. Really wish I could visualize this for y'all. I try to be a decent storyteller, so hopefully you can close your eyes and picture this. If you're driving, don't do that. So we're in an old logged field. It's called a cutover. It's basically really open, real red dirt, clay roads taking you back up in there. And, um, you know, I kind of basically had one row of just openings with woods on both sides that I could look in. I was just kind of looking down into it, but I only had my shotgun with me. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. So I walked, after a little bit, I walked down this hill about 50 yards to the bottom of it. And I didn't know this before, but there is another road at the bottom, excuse me, that cuts over to the right, kind of like a T intersection. Um, so imagine like there's a road and it goes down the hill and then it goes back up the hill. But at the very bottom, there's a stop sign from... <laughs> not for the main road or the road to the right. You know, there's it's a T. Okay. It's just a T intersection, all woods on one side and woods is on the other two catty corners. If you would call it that anyway. So I was down there and I'm like watching this other road now, like where are they going to cross over at? Cause it'd be easier to make them out cross and everything, anything else. So I'm walking back up, I walk back down and I walk back down. I'm like, I'm going to sit here. This looks like a really good spot where I can see a lot. I want to stay right where I am. And so just to kill some time, because I hear the guy way down in the bottom now. I'm like, he's not up here yet. Pull out my phone, you know, just at, like a pocket check. Like we all do when we're at the bar, when we're stuck in an awkward social uh, situation. You just pull out the phone. You do a phone check. You may look at the time. You may drag down your notification center, see what you got. You may go ahead and swipe up and open one of those notifications. You may go check an app that you always check, whether it's like sports betting or stocks or weather. A lot of people like to look at the weather. Whatever your go-to app is, you know, the phone check. So I pull out my phone and do a phone check. I got text from the wife. Now, I need to jump back in. I was really making some jokes at her expense earlier about the curse. She is very supportive of me hunting. She usually is honestly kicking me out of the house and forcing me to go hunting. Um, she's awesome. It's, it's good to have someone that a spouse that supports your interests and your lifestyles, even if it's not their, uh, stuff, favorite stuff to do. It's always important that they support you. So anyway, she had texted me and it was a, it was a recipe. It was like something she wanted me to, I'm the, I cooked mostly around here and she was something that she wanted to try. I was like, Oh, cool. So as I'm like reading the headline on this recipe, I just hear uh, some crazy ass noise running right up in front of me. So I flash my eyes up and I see a buck just sprinting at me full speed, full speed. Before I finish this story, as many of you know, you're currently listening to the Mountain Man podcast. Now, some of the things we talk about on this podcast may be graphic in nature, whether it's explicit language, graphic content which would not be visual <laughs> just be talking about it or stuff like hunting so at any point you feel uncomfortable i do apologize however this is what you should expect on this podcast and there is explicit content warning so you'll be okay but here's how it went down for the homies that give a shit 
Dude is sprinting at me. I'm reading this recipe on my phone from my wife. Something that has to do with crescent dough and cream cheese. Probably some dumbass uh, crockpot casserole that's viral on TikTok. See this deer sprinting at me. Drop the phone. Just like that. Didn't make that sound because it fell in dirt, but whatever. Dropped the phone. Immediately did have it in my hand because I'm not a full idiot. Immediately draw my weapon, shoulder my shotgun, and just take a shot right in the chest as fast as I can. Now, if you've ever shot a deer before or been with someone when they're hunting, when you hit that deer, they, they tend to have this instinct where they just jump straight up in the air. They just leap up in the air, and they're like flailing or flopping. If you've seen videos on TikTok or YouTube or seen deer hit, get hit by a car, like they just they just jump and like spaz out. Well, this man was sprinting at me, and I met him with um, buckshot head on. And when he goes to jump up and do his thing, he does a full fucking backflip. Lands it, too. Lands right on all four feet. But as... He's doing his backflip. I have enough time to pump my shotgun and put another shell in the chamber. And as he's landing on his feet, I shoot his ass again. Blow his ass back. He falls down into a creek. And remember earlier I said deer go to water when they're panicking, think they're being chased, and want to lose scent. So this man was running to a creek to lose scent. I had no idea there was a creek there. You know, this isn't where I, I've only been hunting here a few years. This was a section of the property that I hadn't sat in that much. Um, I hadn't been much in this area. I knew the gist of it, but I didn't know there was a creek there. You know, one of those small details. Just crazy, crazy. So that was really exciting. Um, I can't explain to y'all enough how exhilarating it was to break the streak, break the curse, but just so wonderful. It was a young buck, um, which is a very nice tender harvest the meat is so good it's so tasty it's so easy to deal with to work with um i i'm not a trophy hunter ladies and gentlemen i want to be very clear with the mountain mountain man podcast we're not on here advocating about trophy hunting um you know we're not out here just looking for racks put on the wall the the goal of hunting in our neck of the woods is sustainability um we're really big on sustainability around here no matter what the stereotypes tell you about the mountain folk. And so, you know, I want to be sustainable. I want to take this gift that's been given to me and make the most use of it. So it, that that's what it was awesome for. Lots of really good, tasty meat. Obviously, a fat dough is always awesome. But it was just really good, solid, nice, tender, lean meat. Um, man, I'm about to tell you all about the, the food in a second. So it was, it was good and it it made me feel really good. And it's a nice, you know, if you've ever been hunting, that moment is just, uh, it's beautiful more or less just, um, the, the way the full circle of life works, the way you're supporting yourself or your family on your own, not relying on really anything else. Um, it's very empowering and I think a lot of people should experience it. I really do. So anyway, uh, it was awesome. Successful hunt, broke the streak, got a deer, now, I was hunting about four hours away from home, so I cut them up and everything down there, deboned them, and I took all the meat home with me. And a lot of, and typically, you know, in the past, I've processed my own meat. Now, I'm not going to get on this podcast and shame people who process their deer, and I'm not going to get on here and shame people that don't 
I think everybody has their preferences. Some people may not like cleaning up and processing a deer. Some people may enjoy having that much of a hands-on experience and control on everything. Um, definitely prevents waste and so on. But for me, uh, I wanted burger. That's all I wanted. Uh, my wife is not a big venison fan in general. She's also not a huge burger fan. There's only a few meals where ground beef is found where I can get her to enjoy them. So my goal was to save some money since the price of beef and meat in general was skyrocketing at the time. My gosh, did I have no idea what was to come. Um, we're not ever going to get political on here, but I think we can all agree that right now uh, it's everything's a lot more expensive than it has been, right? So it was really nice to be able to fill my freezer without having to go to the grocery store. Now it costs money to get a deer processed, but, and everything else that goes into it, but it's just different, man. So I brought the deer home, took it to a local, uh, butcher. It's like a pop-up butcher, excuse me, during deer season and bear season. Just a Mennonite guy owns a dairy farm. Fucking kills it, man. That was so good. The meat that was in there was just nice and dark and tender. It was just so healthy for you, so lean. Mixes that in with beef fat to make it a little less healthy for me, but still pretty good. And, man, y'all, I, oh, I made so much deer spaghetti. I call it deer spaghetti. On Twitter, people are like, what the fuck is deer spaghetti? It's a spaghetti bolognese with venison. It's meat sauce. Instead of hamburger, use venison. Really, all I do is just brown the venison, salt, pepper, garlic, basil, oregano, brown that shit, and then I just dump in some store-bought pasta sauce. I don't make my own pasta sauce. I'm not that talented. But it was good. Oh, my gosh. And I use angel hair pasta, which for some reason just makes all of it taste so much better. Couldn't tell you why. Could not tell you why, but I just could tell you that it's true. So, good hunt season. It was good deer. We've already ate it all. It's all gone. And I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. And I, I needed to tell y'all about that. I hadn't really gotten to tell, you know, the the story. Um, I didn't get into too much detail. I feel like I told y'all more about my last deer than this one. But it was it was really nice. It was really nice to um, to get that chance. And I really enjoyed the guys that let me go down there and hunt with them. Uh, they're good people. And it was a good time. So, I'm very happy. Very happy. So I wanted to tell you all about that. But yeah, we're back. We're back recording. Uh, I know frequency really slowed down right now. I would like to say it probably seems like, yeah, Shenandoah Shine ramped up. Mountain Man Podcast slows down. That's a little bit of it. A lot of it, too, was me. I was streaming a lot, and a lot of my time and content type of energy went into the streaming. To you, the loyal listeners of the Mountain Man Podcast, kind of want to apologize for that. You guys were here first. You guys were supporting me first. You guys were giving me the confidence to to keep pushing. Um, I, I apologize. I also do blame you for giving me so much confidence and for supporting, you know, when I talk about NASCAR and stuff on here in the past and iRacing. That was nice. But the OG listeners that were here for the early episodes, they know that these episodes were very scatterbrained they were all over the place i was kind of just rambling and that's where i kind of went to go do streaming more was just so i could be a little bit more say whatever and let this podcast be more focused on what it was supposed to be about which is life in appalachia um 
so that's what we've kind of been sticking to now. And now with some of the new resources I have and some of the things that have been happening for us, uh, we're going to be doing a little bit more, a little bit more episodes. And quite frankly, the only reason I decided to do that is because y'all were literally messaging me often. Now, I'm not going to say all the time. There's a bunch of people, but it was more than one person. Okay. It was more than one person that asked for more Mountain Man podcast. And to be totally honest, it was more than 10. Okay. And once I got into double digits, the people were like, dude, when are we getting another episode? I'm like, okay, fine. Thank you guys. Um, so I appreciate that. You know, I just didn't really have, uh, ins- not inspiration or drive, but just confidence to do this podcast. I felt like it was kind of, it's pretty niche. I mean, let's not, let's not bullshit here, but, um, you know, it was, I don't know. It was something about y'all like literally wanting it that made me want to put more out there. So I'm going to make more podcasts for you, the listener, for you, the supportive listener who has asked for more. So here I am and you can expect more. I promise. Um, we're getting in the springtime now. That's one of my favorite times of the year. Just getting outside, cleaning up from the winter, prepping for the long summer. Um, garden time fruit tree time all types of stuff going on for me right now what's on the list i'm not going to talk through everything we got to save that for other episodes or we'll talk for hours here but uh just started a batch of strawberry wine for the, that was pretty cool uh usually um you guys associate me with moonshine and i don't make moonshine i don't but right now I'm making a small home personal use batch of strawberry wine. Uh, it's really easy, easier than I thought for now. I'm in like the really early stages. Um, you know, actually I'm going to go get my wine so that YouTube can see it. And if you're listening right now in the car, stop, pick it back up when you get wherever you're going, watch on YouTube. Okay. Bear with me. This is probably not going to sound as professional the recorded versions but this will be cool for youtube this is the hybrid stuff you get now that i've got all my streaming experience okay so we're in the early stage which is basically where you just take all your fruit and you mash it up and then you give it a shit ton of sugar and like some citric acid and a couple other things yeast you gotta let it all all that first stuff like sit for a day and like dissolve and then you yeast and then yeast makes alcohol so i've got it i'm gonna open it I promise i just want to show you this is the bucket okay it's got some nice little handy stuff to help you out when you're loading it up and measuring it with stuff this little thing on top this little rubber stopper here is a hole and there's different versions of this but this is basically a plastic or glass piece that's got a bunch of different ins and outs and layers. You fill it with a little bit of water and it plugs this hole. And this basically keeps um, bad bacteria from getting into the wine and it keeps the good bacteria that are making the alcohol in the wine. So this smells, I don't want to spill it all over the, you guys peek in there YouTube? I want to pour wine all over my setup. There it is. Like it smells so good, but <coughs> it's 
pungent. It's very strong. But I can definitely smell the alcohol um, getting started. So that'll be awesome. This takes a long time. So it does this for a little bit and then I've got to do something and I've got to like move it into, you know, another jug through like some tubes and stuff. That's the part I'm nervous about. We'll figure it out and we'll talk about it on the next episode. We'll just, you guys can hang out with me. We'll just keep doing strawberry wine updates uh, the whole time and eventually we'll get the taste test. Anyway, um, I just appreciate y'all, uh, all the support. If you guys are looking for additional content, check out my Twitter, always at Booty Banjo. Um, around the clock shit posting right there on Twitter. It's where it all started. That's where it all stays, baby. Uh, if you're looking for some crazy stuff, if you like NASCAR racing or just some more, you know, kind of content focused on this region, check out Shane and Shine. If you guys want to support me, you can buy merch, but you really don't have to, but you could tell your friends or maybe buy a hat to just kind of rep the brand. We got new hats coming out here in the next couple weeks. I'm just waiting on a couple final pieces. So we can put them all together. And those will be for sale. Summer collections on the way. But number one, guys, just on social media, all the love. It's awesome. Tell your friends. A lot of listeners of this podcast found out from a friend. So keep spreading the news so we can keep having a good time. Speaking of having a good time, I hope you have a good rest of the day, a good rest of your week, weekend, month, whatever you have going on. I hope that you just take a second. Take a deep breath and just keep moving on because you're going to be okay. Remember, if anybody ever needs somebody to talk to, you are not alone and my DMs are always open and I will always be your friend. Thanks everyone for listening to the Mountain Man Podcast and I'll holler at y'all later.